Welcome to week number three uh, of our series that we're calling Uncut Christmas. This is actually the finale. And then for our Christmas services, we're going to be uh, looking at White Christmas. And I hope you make plans to be there. Uh, but through this series, we're really trying to go behind the scenes a little bit because much of what we hear about Christmas actually isn't from the Bible. There's all kinds of things that we that we hear that have been kind of just uh, added to through the years. For instance, did you know this? There are no wise men in the Bible. They're in the manger, rather. They're in the Bible, but they don't show up in the manger until the Christ child, most scholars believe, is two years old. Two years old, because it says they came and they found the child. Everything else is the baby, the baby, the baby, the child. And uh, I don't know how wise they were. If you've ever seen a two-year-old, who wants to see one of those and, and go across the country to see one? But anyway, uh, so we want to pick up the story uh, uh, in our time together, I want to talk about God's strange script because when you actually read this from the Bible, it's kind of crazy what's going on. That's why we're calling it Uncut Christmas. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, you can just uh, go ahead and open up that app and, and follow along. You'll want to, to be able to look back on that and uh, fill in the blanks and also the scriptures and the points that uh, we're going to be sharing during our time together. But Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I want to read the first 14 verses. It may sound familiar, but we're going to spend our time kind of unpacking a lot of this. Uh, right now. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when, I'm going to go with Curanius on that. That's what I'm going to go with. Curanius. Curanius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each one to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, uh, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. We talked about this in weeks past when we looked at Joseph. And it goes on, verse 5, it says, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. That actually means rags. That's literally what it means, swaddling clothes. Like, oh, it's so pretty and white. No, it's rags. It's filthy rags. Wrapped him in rags uh, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then in verse 8, and in the same region there was shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, there it is again, in rags and lying in a manger and suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now this is pretty interesting. You may be familiar with the King James Version where it says uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men, but that's not really a good translation. Most more current Uh, translations from the original language in Greek. This is much more accurate. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We're going to talk about that. Uh, But before we jump in, you know, uh, uh, and just start unpacking this, a couple things just just strike me. You know, it's the holiday season, Christmas. There's so much for every one of us uh, to be thankful for. Time of family and friends and and food and, and I won't one thing I'm really thankful for is I'm thankful that women give birth. 
instead of men. Because the thing is this, I mean, guys, let's be honest, really. If it was up to men to give birth, humanity, one generation, doesn't go any further than that. It just stopped right there in the garden. That's it. Adam and Eve is done. Then Okay, start over or something, you know, figure it out. But uh, if it was left to us, so I am just so thankful, and I think all the men would say amen to that for sure. I'm so thankful that women give birth. In fact, recently uh, in one of our staff uh, lunches, we got to talk, and I don't even know how it came up, and a couple of ladies on staff, uh, younger, they haven't had any kids or anything. We started talking about it, and, and I was just trying to help them, you know, because I'm a helper. That's what I do. And uh, I was just trying to help them, and I was like, have you actually ever seen a newborn child? And they're like, oh, yeah, I saw one. You know, it was six or seven years old. I said, no, 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 no. No, no, like newborn child. Because let's be honest, they are ugly as sin. They look like lizards coming out like this, and they got cheese all over them, and their heads are pointed. They look like cone heads. And, and that's the reality. I mean, who thought of this? You think about God's strange script. Why would he put his son through that? I mean, Jesus, you know, you put the little, little tiny hats on. They look so cute. It's hiding their heads that come to a point. That's what the whole thing is. It's not to keep them warm. It's because they look just dilapidated. Sometimes it's not even a good point. It's like off to the side, you know, like that. And you're looking like Gumby or something like that. That's the reality. And as I was sharing this with, with, uh, uh, with, with some of the staff just trying to help them at lunch, uh, I, a couple of ladies started already. They're, they're looking into adoption. And so... Uh, you know, but that's the reality, that's, that's, that's the uncut Christmas. Because Jesus was not the baby that didn't cry. I mean, this was just, this is crazy story. Just, just absolutely uh, ridiculous when you really think about it. And then there's the real story, and that's here in the scripture that we find it recorded for us in the Gospels. And, and the fact is, you know, it's not uncommon, uh, it's not unlike, rather, the way things are today as they were 2,000 years ago. Because the Messiah, the Son of God, had been promised. And, and there had been so much anticipation for the coming of the Messiah that when he actually came, when Jesus was actually born, the nation of Israel missed it. Because they, they had, they had um, taken Old Testament prophecies and looked at certain things and had built up in the image and the consciousness and the culture at the time that really they weren't looking for a babe in the manger. They were looking for Braveheart. That's who they thought the Savior was going to be. That's who the Messiah was going to be. He was going to be Braveheart. And he was going to topple the Roman Empire that was controlling the whole entire known world at the time. And, and he was going to like kick... Uh, he was going to kick butt and take names is what he was going to do. And so when this meek and mild baby in a manger came, they missed it. They missed it completely. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense, this baby in a manger and this blue-collar guy named Joe. But this is the script that God wrote. Engaged to a teenage girl who's pregnant with someone else's baby. That's the story of Jesus. I mean, think about it. We don't even know Joseph's last name. He's just an ordinary Joe. Engaged to a teenage girl who's going to have some other man's baby. That's what it looks like. On their way to be registered for a census in Bethlehem, probably riding on the back of a donkey nine months pregnant 
And this is the way God decided to do it. And think about it. God didn't even bother to make reservations for them. They get there to Bethlehem, and, and, and what do they hear? There's no room at the hotel, motel, holiday inn. Sorry, I just went a little sugar hill on you. I just, uh, Rapper's Delight reminded me of my old roller skating days when I was 12. But there's no room for them at the inn. And, and you got to kind of wonder when you're reading this, I mean, actually reading the Bible account, like, what are you doing, God? This is certainly not the way that I, I think I would have written the script. And I think probably if you're honest as well, it's not the way that, that you would have written the script either. And the baby is born, we, we, we like to look at a stable. It wasn't a stable. And most of the time in those days, a manger was a cave. It was a dirty, dark, smelly cave. And they wrapped God in rags and they laid him in a place that animals eat from. And the first smell of the Christ child, the first scent he probably ever got was cow urine. That's the uncut Christmas story. That's the reality of what God stepped into when Jesus came to us. And, and you know, the, the more you read, it's like the story just gets weirder and weirder. Now you kind of dial out a little bit to the shepherd fields. Shepherds? Shepherds are the first ones that are going to hear the proclamation, the announcement that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has arrived on the scene. Shepherds, we don't even know their names. I think one day we're going to get to heaven and go, hi, I'm shepherd number one. This is shepherd number two. We don't even know who they were. We don't even have their names. We know nothing about them. But this is the strange, strange script that God wrote when he sent his son, our savior, into this world. The angels appeared to the shepherds. They're the first people to hear that the king of kings has arrived. And, and it's kind of interesting, if, when I think about it, uh, I, I just think, you know, God could have done a much better job than this, couldn't he? I mean, if I was writing the script, uh, first of all, why be born? It's like, God, have you ever seen a natural childbirth before? You're going to put your son through that? I, I would have had him just appear at, the, at Augustus's throne room, Caesar's throne room, and, and like appear and go like all John Wayne on him, you know? Like, like have him have revolvers and all, and, 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 and just show up like, like in a phenomenally fit 40-something body. Anyway, and, and just kind of show up and just say, there's a new sheriff in town. That's the script I would have written. Instead, he's a baby. God is a baby and dependent on mom and dad to change his diapers. Can't even speak. Can't even communicate. That's this strange strange, weird, wonderful, amazing, incredible script that God wrote and wrote himself into it because he loves you 
and he loves me that much. If you're going to make a big announcement, I mean, let's think about it. If you're really going to make a big announcement, don't you go to a place of power and influence, not to a cave that's dirty and dark and damp or to shepherds out in the fields. Shepherds, I mean, I don't know. I, I read this story and I've been a pastor a long time, going on 27 years now, and I, I'm kind of left with the conclusion, you know, God, you really need a PR director. <laughs> you, you need someone to help you with your PR because it just doesn't make any sense. Totally improbable, totally impractical. And I'm left with this conclusion, and I think you probably are too. That's why I know it was God. Because no human would write this script. No one would. It just doesn't make any sense. Kind of left with this idea, like, what's the point, God? What's the point? What are you trying to get at here? What message are you really trying to get across? I'm convinced of this when you read, especially in Luke's uh, account, as we did a, a majority of it in Luke chapter 2, there's a contrast between Augustus, Caesar Augustus, who was the, the king at the time. In fact, you may not know it, you do a little background study. Augustus was actually known for bringing peace to the known world at the time. He was known as the king of peace. And in fact, when he would enter into a town, he would have heralds that would go ahead of him. And you know what he would say, what those heralds would say long before Jesus was actually born? Here comes the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Augustus. The king of peace, Augustus. And Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is contrasting a temporal king, Augustus, who was not the king of peace. He was a dictator, bloodthirsty fear that dominated the Roman Empire and the real prince of peace, Jesus Christ, the Christ child, the true king of kings and the Lord of lords. The first to receive the announcement were shepherds. In biblical times, shepherds were just the absolute outcasts. In fact, so much so that, that most of the time they were homeless people, didn't have a home, and the sheep that they took care of were not their own sheep. It was someone else's sheep. Many times they slept out in the field, and you could always tell when the shepherds came to town because you could smell them because they smelt like sheep. Oftentimes they would sleep with the sheep in order to keep the sheep warm. And, and isn't it interesting in the account, you read it again, Luke chapter 2 that we just did. It said what? They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. Shepherds would actually circle around, just do laps around their sheep to protect them from predators if there wasn't any fence or anything like that at all. And so these shepherds are living there. They were so dirty in the eyes of the Jewish people that a shepherd was not allowed to even come into the outer court of the temple that's the court of the Gentiles. They were not allowed to step foot in the temple. In other words, if you're a shepherd, there's no way you are ever allowed to go to church. 
it's forbidden by the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And this is who God decided I'm going to make my first announcement to, the unchurched. Those who are not allowed to come into my presence, not even get near it. This is God's strange but wonderful script. If you were a shepherd, you were considered unclean. Not only were you not allowed to go to the temple, but you probably, your your shepherding was your primary job. Your secondary job was probably that of a thief because you couldn't even make enough money to be a shepherd. And so they were known as thieves and they, they would oftentimes steal to make ends meet. With that backdrop of what a shepherd is, that's who God declared My son's come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Fast forward just a little bit. Jesus puts it this way, with the new understanding perhaps that you have of what a shepherd is. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In the Old Testament, the most, arguably most influential person, in fact, many people credit this man for the reason that Israel actually even existed at the time of Jesus. And that was King David. And what was King David before he was a king? A shepherd. And Jesus is the New Testament shepherd. And what he's saying here is, I'm the ultimate shepherd. And what do I do? I lay down my life for my sheep. Just like David had to fight off the bear. And David had to fight off the lion. And ultimately, David fought Goliath. Jesus says, I will fight for my sheep. I will lay down my life and sacrifice myself for my sheep. God declared, this day a Savior is born to you. Christ the Lord, to shepherds, to the poor, to the outcasts, to the homeless, that nobody wanted anything to do with the shepherds. God said to an angel, you go, tell them. And oh, by the way, the rest of you guys, the choir, you join him as soon as he makes the announcement. That's this strange, strange script, this uncut Christmas Let's focus in now on on one of the key things that I think is really easy for us to pass over that is said to the shepherds. Let's look at it again. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. As I said, the King James Version is probably what we hear uh, more in our minds as Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men, like comprehensive blanket statement, but that's actually not what's being said in the Greek when you peel it back to the original language of of the New Testament. It's more precisely peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I want to know who who is it that God's pleased with? I want to be one of those. I want to be one that experiences God's peace. Peace among those with whom he's pleased. That's not everybody, but who is it that he's pleased with? Again, going back to the contrast in Luke chapter two that we just read, Augustus, wealthy, powerful. Think about it for just a minute. Why did he even have a census? Have you ever thought about this? 
Why did the emperor want to know how many people were in the empire? Just for pride's sake, no other reason. Just for pride. Just so he could say, look at how many people I rule over. And I'll make them all go back to their hometown. Look, look at all, as he's seeing what's going on in the empire, look at all these people moving all over the empire just because I said so. Total pride. And then the contrast of the true king, of Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, who can't even speak. Incredible contrast. Peace among those with whom he's pleased. I see the contrast between pride in Augustus and the humility of the shepherds and the ultimate humility of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, this is, this is just, this passage here in Luke chapter two, it just reminds me so much of the, the price of pride. That pride costs us so much more than we ever realize. And, and, and the thing about humility is this, have you ever thought about it? The thing about humility is this, the moment that you think you have it, you don't. Because <laughs> it's pride. The, the moment that you and I ever come to a point where we think, man, I am really humble. <clears throat> Start back at square one, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $100, you know. The moment that you and I think we're humble, we're prideful. I believe what's happening here, peace among those with whom he's pleased. The angels announced it to the humble, to the shepherds. That's why I think God wrote this strange script and said, first, I want to announce it. I want it to be declared to the humble, to the shepherds, to those who've been rejected, to those who are the outcasts, to those who realize they need a savior. Amen. Augustus didn't need a savior. He didn't think he needed one. He thought he was one. In fact, reading some background material, you'll find that actually that is one of the things, Augustus was referred to as the savior of the Roman empire. Incredible, just even the words that the angels use, how specific and exact to contradict and to contrast with Caesar Augustus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus put it this way, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And I think the ones that God is pleased with are those that are humble, like those shepherds. Those are the ones that God wants to give peace to. And all throughout scripture, we see this over and over again of God acting on behalf of people, men and women, just like you, just like me, that don't think they're all that, don't have a great name, don't, 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 don't have power and prestige, but are just willing. We looked at this with, with Joseph and the huge decision that he had to make the reality was he really wasn't any ordinary Joe. He was an amazing man of faith. Why? Because he chose to trust God even though he couldn't see the end of the road. And then we look at the teenage girl Mary last week, same exact thing, where she said, be it unto me according to your word. Let it happen exactly the way you told me. I don't understand it all, but I'm gonna trust and I'm gonna obey. 
Hear the humility. Hear the humility. See the humility. When the angels tell, tell, uh, tell the shepherds, this day for you, a savior has been born. And we don't really have, again, we have the idea, they're just out in the fields, you know, on the outskirts of Bethlehem. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say how far of a distance they were from that manger. All we know is this, they heard what the angel said, and they said, we're going to go find this child they're talking about. And they obeyed, and they put action with their belief. Incredible humility. God always responds to humility. Look at Psalm 138, verse 6. It says, though the Lord is supreme, he takes care of those who are humble, but he stays away from the proud. That's why Jesus was not born in Augustus's palace. That's why Jesus, his birth was announced to the shepherds. Because although the Lord is supreme, he takes care of those who are humble. But he stays away from the proud. Isaiah 66 verse 2 puts it this way. These are the ones I look on with favor, God is speaking. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Those are the ones that the angels are saying, peace on these folks. Peace on those whom God is happy with, favorable with, pleased with. Who are they? The ones, those who are humble, contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word, just like those shepherds. And so quickly, I wanna, I wanna share as we wind up this, this series, Uncut Christmas, God's greatest gift that he has for those that are humble. God has some specific gifts that he wants to give, I believe, you and me this Christmas, if we would just be humble. Is it the palace we're after or is it the presence of the Prince of Peace? We have to make that decision. What are we striving for? Because the Bible's very clear. God saves his best gifts, not for the proud, but for those that are truly humble. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, it says, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility goes before honor. Deep in your heart, let me ask you a question. Do you want God to honor you? Do, do you want God to, to put you in a place that you know he's the one who did it and you didn't strive for it, you didn't try to make it happen? The Bible gives us the key. What is it? Humility. Humility goes before honor. When we humble ourselves, not I got this, God, I don't need you, but God, I need you every hour. I need you every moment. God says, you live that way before me, I'll put you in a place of honor. I'll make a place for you. God's greatest gifts, he reserves for the humble. So what are these gifts? What is it that he gives us? First of all, he gives the humble wisdom. He gives the humble wisdom. And Proverbs 11:2 puts it this way. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. But when we humble ourselves every day, and I encourage you just to think about this and, and more than think about it, actually do it. Every single day when you wake up, God, I don't know what today is gonna hold, but I know you do. And so I just humble myself before you right now 
and this attitude of prayer, and I just completely confess my total dependence upon you today. And I receive the grace that you have for me today to face whatever it is that you already know I'm going to face. Humble. Humbling ourselves on a daily basis. And you know what's pretty interesting? I've done an extensive study on this a number of years ago. There's no place in the Bible that you ever really want to ask God to humble you. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture, it tells you, humble yourself in the eyes of God. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Because when God humbles a person, they never recover from it. They never recover from it. It's our responsibility, my responsibility, and your responsibility to humble ourselves. With, with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then there's shame. The first gift that he gives us is the gift of wisdom to the humble. The second gift is he, he gives direction to the humble. In Psalm 25, verse 9, it says, He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. God teaches those that are humble his way to walk in the way that he wants us to, to understand who he really is and to live the life that he created you and that he created me to ultimately live. He gives the humble wisdom. He gives him direction. He also gives the humble his grace. First Peter chapter five makes it real clear. He, that's God, gives grace to the humble, not to the proud, not to the arrogant, not to the contentious, not to those that are always striving, not to those that push their way. God gives grace to the humble, his grace. And the fourth thing that he gives is this, he gives reassurance. He gives reassurance to the humble. For the Lord takes delight in his people, he crowns the humble with victory, with success. He crowns the humble with success, with reassurance. Amazing. I think this is why the birth of Jesus Christ and God's strange script that he decided, go tell those shepherds because there was nothing to be proud of as a shepherd at all. And God spoke to them and moved on their behalf, I believe because of their humility. A minute ago, we looked at 1 Peter chapter five, just a, a little bit of it, but chapter five, verse five, but I wanna show you a little bit more of that thought because this is on the opposite side of the coin. 1 Peter chapter five, five, God opposes proud people. He's against them. He's against the proud. He's against those that feel like I can do it on my own. I don't need him. I, 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 that's just a bunch of foolishness, that Christianity stuff. God said, I'm against you. God opposes proud people, but he helps everyone who's humble, just like those shepherds. I, I wonder as a shepherd, as they're standing out there, I wonder what the campfire talk was, you know, around the fire, talking about how they'd gotten overlooked for the promotion, always getting the short end of the stick, 
You know, life's just not fair. You know, look at us. We deserve better. Think that's what it was? I don't know. But then an angel said, uh, guys, I've got something to tell you. And then an angelic choir joins in. I don't think they were prideful. I don't think they felt like they were the victims. I think God was helping them because they were humble, because of their station in life. What does that mean for you and for me this Christmas? I think these same gifts God wants to give every single one of us if we'll humble ourselves. The gift of his wisdom, the gift of guidance and direction, the gift of grace, the gift of reassurance. I think for you and me in this Christmas time, we need to ponder our achievements less and Christ's achievements more. That's the humble thing to do. I think we need to spend a whole lot less time on our throne and a whole lot more time at Jesus's cross. I think we need to brag on Jesus's work, not ours. See, it's always a lot better to step down off of a pedestal than someone pull you down off of one. Make the wiser choice. The path that's marked with pride ultimately leads you right over the cliff. But a path that's marked with humility, just like the path of the shepherds, would ultimately take you to the manger of the Messiah. That's where humility leads. God's strange, strange script. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I wonder right now, which one are you? The prideful or the humble? Is God pushing back against you? Or is God helping you? Because he sees your heart is humble before him. I don't know about you, but I think this is a great time to just step back and look at this strange script of Jesus Christ's birth and just be filled with awe. Just be filled with wonder. Just, just to, for a minute, feel how small we really are and how big he really is and humble ourselves before him and admit how much we need him and how much a mess of things we make on our own. Okay, let's be honest. January 1st is coming. We're all gonna make resolutions again, aren't we? And by January 4th, we'll break them again, won't we? We're not all that. We're not all powerful. We don't have the strength. We need help. We need to humble ourselves and allow God to help us for us to be who we really are and allow him to be who he always is and who he really is in our lives. Maybe you're here today and you've never even humbled yourself the first time before God. 
just to make that simple statement, really. God, I, I just humble myself before you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. The Bible makes it really clear that whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. See, the whole thing about confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that's an act of humility. That's humbling ourselves and realize, I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. And God responds with his grace in that moment. I'm gonna ask, would you just bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this strange script that you wrote. Lord, there's so much in the story, the account of the birth of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Taking a, a blue collar guy named Joe, a, a teenage girl, pregnant with someone's baby besides his, yours. And then your son being born, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and declaring it first to humble, lowly, homeless, poor shepherds out in the field. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would just humble ourselves this Christmas before you before your incredible power and your awesome might, that we would be in awe and we would give you glory just as those angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace upon those on whom God is pleased. Be pleased with us now in this moment as we humble ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.